I have come to uh, the conclusion after studying uh, the past couple months on the Gospel of John that maybe the greatest chapter in the entire Bible is John chapter 17. It may be the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Um, I used to think that Romans chapter 8 was the greatest chapter in the Bible, and Romans 8 is one of the clearly greatest chapters in the Bible. But here in chapter 17, we see Jesus effectively dialoguing with the Father. We see that, uh, and we see him praying for us and speaking out for us. Uh, and so the things that we hear directly from the mouth of Jesus are divine pronouncements. Uh, and that is one of the things that we're going to hear today. As Jesus, in verse 23, chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, verse 23, is going to speak to us about the nature of the love of God. And it is so deep and so profound that it takes us a while to wrap our arms around it because it is like no love, no love that we as human beings can ever come to terms with. So uh, if you would turn to John 17, verse 23, and this is, these are the words of Jesus. In them and you in me, may they be brought to complete utility, unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let me repeat that. In them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying that God loves us in the same way and in the same capacity as God loves Jesus. If this doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what I could say that would affect you. When you want to recognize where you are uh, in the mind of God, now that you have become a Christian, this verse is so deep uh, and resonates so deeply with me that it sets out the parameter of what it means to be a Christian. God loves us once we have come to terms with Jesus and accepted Jesus. God loves us in the same way and the same degree as he loved Jesus. Now, the reason that we say that is in the original Greek in which this was written, the word pathos is the word that's used to describe that love. And the word pathos in Greek is just as, uh, or in the same degree. It's a precise word. So uh, this isn't made up uh, translation. It's precisely the definition of the same way. This is an extraordinary statement because none of us, none of us love like that. Uh, our, our kind of love is quite different. Our love is a partial love, meaning what? We determine who we're going to love and how we're going to love them, all right? It may, it may be you, you love your wife one way. You may love your mother and father another way. You may love your children another way. You, you may love some people in the church, and you may not love some people in the church, you understand what I'm saying? In other words, we dial up and dial down our love. God is not like that. God's love is perfection, meaning when God loves, his, God, his love is so absolutely infinite and eternal that he loves only one way. And we find it very difficult to understand this. And this is why in this world that you see marriages fail. Because even though marriages begin with, with a certain kind of love, the love is not a perfect love. 
all right? It is not a perfect love. It's a love that wanes uh, based on, on how people treat you. You understand? And yet God loves us perfectly, infinitely, eternally. Uh, and this is going to be one of the most important things that we've ever learned as we understand why God loves us and where we sit. It's going to help you live your life each day as a Christian. It's going to help you understand how to come to terms with some of the ups and downs and the vicissitudes of life, because above all else, you're going to remember that God loves you eternally, that that will never change, that he has no preference, that he loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. In the same way, John? Yes? In the same way in the same infinite way, in the same eternal way. And so now you see the nature of this love in the love that the Father had for Jesus. Uh, and, and you may wonder, what, what kind of love is this? Well, the first answer to that question is that uh, this attribute is that this love is infinite. What does that mean? It means God is infinite. Uh, he has no borders. And just as he has no borders, his love is infinite. Uh, it is contained forever. Uh, that means that there are no limits on God's love, whereas our love has all kinds of limits. Our love stops basically when other people don't love us or don't treat us well or say ugly things about us. And all of a sudden, maybe what you thought was love is not really love. But you see, with God, even as we, 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 we sin, even as we go outside his will, he still continues to love. It is one of the great attributes of, the God, of God. Second, the love of the Father uh, for Lord Jesus is eternal, which is different from infinite. Uh, uh, an infinite love is one that has no limits, but an eternal love is a love without end, a love without without end. God's love for you will never end. Uh, and, and look at this, and you say, well, how can you give me an example? I said, well, can you think of the Father ceasing to love Jesus Christ? Just as God ceasing never to love, to, to end his love for Jesus Christ, that, that's, that will therefore be the same way that his love for us will never end, and it will be eternal. It will not cease because of changes in him, because God does not change. Turn to Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. I can't think of a better way to start the, the remainder of the season right after Easter than with this kind of a study. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Every time the time of your forefathers, since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So there you have it. I do not change. I am infinite. I am eternal. When you, when you continue to be within uh, my kingdom, I will be with you forever and ever. And so we see here that God's love for us will not change because of changes in him uh, or changes in us, provided that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now let's go back and look at a foundational verse. Look at Romans 8.29. All right. 
Well, we'll start with 28 because that's one of my favorite verses. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, what does this mean? Think about it. All right, we talked about this, that foreknowledge, God knew from the time that he created you and held your effective uh, DNA in his hand and created you, uh, and as he looked at that DNA, he foreknew the decisions you were going to make about accepting Jesus Christ. He foreknew it. And as he foreknew it, he predestined you for good. He actually predestined you for good. Uh, because he knew the decisions that you would make. But look at the verse, how, it, how, how deep it is. He predestined, he also predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son, meaning that his predestination for you in good was that you would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And then look even further, uh, uh, that he might be, that Jesus might be, the firstborn among many brothers. What does it mean? It means that in the eyes of God, you are the brother of Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn of this creation. He is the first. He is the Savior. And he is the firstborn of many brothers to come. So in the eyes of God, when you are saved... He conforms you to Jesus Christ. He predestines you to good things. And he effectively looks at you as the family of God, the brother of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. If you don't leave this class today with a smile on your face, then I give up. I mean, really, this is extraordinary. Honestly, this is an extraordinary statement. That's why I say that, the, that John 17, I believe, is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Because you now come to terms with Jesus speaking to God about us. And you recognize how profound this is. So the consequence of this, the consequence of this love of the Father for Jesus and for us, the consequence of this predetermination and the consequence of this conformity of us to Jesus, and effectively we being brothers with Jesus, the consequence of all this is that nothing, nothing, no person, no power, no principality, not even sin can separate us from God's love. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ, once you have said, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, I worship you as my God, and he reaches out to you and he closes his hand around you, nothing takes you out of the hand of God. Nothing. Don't let anybody tell you anything differently. Nothing. And that's how God wants you to live, in that kind of an understanding. And so uh, look at Romans 8 again. Look at verse 38. Again, one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. Well, we'll start with 37, Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So there's, there's a point, let me stop, that as you live this life, as you're a Christian and you're going to suffer the slings and arrows of, of evil, bad things are going to come your way. You are more than a conqueror. 
He has given you everything to equip you in order to face these things. More than a conqueror. Why? Because he's predestined you and conformed you to your brother in the eyes of God, Jesus Christ. Continuing on. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the congregation said, and got that right. No man, no mere man could write a verse like that. That is, that is the Holy Spirit writing exactly how God feels about us. That's the consequence of what this all is all about. That is the deepness, the, de- the depth of the character of love. And so the third characteristic of the love of God, uh, the Father for Jesus Christ, is perfection. It is a perfect love. And, and consequently, his love for us is perfect as well. Now, we do not love perfectly. Impossible. We're human beings. We can't have that kind of love. That's why marriages break up, because we don't have that perfect kind of love. Uh, Friendships dissolve. Children rebel against parental authority. All of these things that take place when you think you love people, when you think you're exhibiting love, that that love can never be perfect. It is partial. It is imperfect. It changes based on the vicissitudes of life. Uh, And it is true that we, we will we will always not cease to love. I mean, it's a sin- the nature of humanity. It is rather that we do not love well. We can't love well. We can't love like God. Uh, and, and so it's important to understand this. Our love is often self-centered and is inconsistent. What do I mean by that? I mean very simply this. You tend to love people that love you back. You like people in the way that they like you. You look at people the way they treat you, and you then choose to love them back or like them back, whatever word you're going to use, in the reciprocal way in which you're being treated. God's not like that. It's a whole different kind of love. Just as ours is self-centered, just think about, even in your own life, reflect back and, 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 and how you've treated people and how you loved. It is really often self-centered. It's often self-centered. You know that. You may not admit it, but it is. This is not the nature of God's love for us. He loves perfectly, infinitely, eternally, with consistency. He has only our best at heart. Uh, that's, that's why when you read Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's why you understand that, tr- that verse to be true. Because no matter what you go through, you have to remember that he loves you perfectly, eternally, infinitely, consistently, even when you're in a hospital bed and the diagnosis is not good, even when things go badly in your life, even when the stock market goes down, even when the family relationships deteriorate, when your children rebel, I want to tell you that God still loves you perfectly and infinitely. He will not change towards you. And so even as your own perception is, oh God, what is this about? What is it about is that he has determined that somehow he is making you a stronger, better Christian. I don't understand it, 
I don't understand it necessarily how this works through sickness. All I know is that for some of us, being in a hospital bed is a chance for us to speak about Jesus. I know that, all right? But I also know this, that you're looking at your life, you're thinking, oh, maybe I can make it to 100. Oh, yeah, 100 would be good. But somehow those last five years aren't quite as glorious. You know what I mean? They're not like the same five years as like those 30s. But you're still, oh, yeah, I want to make it to 100. And here's the thing. So you make it to 100. You make it there. How much longer is eternity? And God sees, I mean, can you imagine eternity, meaning from before the world was formed to long after this world is destroyed? You're going to be with Jesus? Your life is going to be there with Jesus in a glorified body? He sees that. And he's creating you for a greater purpose. All right? Now, we don't see clearly through this, but we have to trust God that, that, that this creator who loves us so incredibly would not, would not treat us unfairly. And so we can't be despondent uh, because of some undesirable circumstances, not when you know that the, that the creator loves you with this kind of love. That's why we look at Romans 8.28, and we understand it's the roadmap to where it is. So is it really the case that God loves us like that? I know some of you are probably thinking this right now. Is John really right? Can we truly believe that we are loved with the same eternal, infinite, perfect love with the way God loved Jesus Christ? Well, the evidence I would, I'd say to you is absolutely yes. And if you want it, look at John three sixteen. All right? For God so loved the world. Go ahead, read it. Let's get it. Let's that's right. Let's read it so you can never read this verse enough. All right? This is the greatest verse in the Bible. Okay? This is the greatest verse in the Bible. If you didn't have anything else in the Bible and you only knew one verse, this is it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How do you like that? He bankrupted heaven. That's how much he loved you. He didn't have to do this. He could have just had your memory erased, all right? I saw a phrase this last couple of weeks that said the Pope didn't believe in hell. I wanted to send him a couple of my outlines. Because <laughs> according to the journalist that took that, that interview, he, he said, There's, there is no hell. Instead, your memory is erased forever. You just disappear. Well... Obviously, when there was a great rhubarb of a, of, a, of a backlash, then, of course, as typically happens, the Pope comes out and says, well, I really didn't say it like that. Who knows what was said? But I can assure you there is a hell, all right? And I can assure you this, that God bankrupted heaven, bankrupted heaven by sending God himself, his son, to earth to die the most ignominious kind of death possible at Calvary for you. For you, that's how much. So if you want to know how much God loved you, what's the nature of his love, how perfect and infinite and ongoing that love is, there's no greater proof than that. No greater proof. Uh, and so clearly you need to understand that. Turn to Galatians chapter 2, to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in in me, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. That's the way 
God wants us to live. I am crucified with Jesus because I have given my life to Jesus, because I worship Jesus as my God, and I, and I give my all to God, and I turn everything in my life over to God. All right, As I do that, this whole thing of Christ living in me becomes truer and truer and truer. I have to give you a stop and give a personal testimony uh, that I've been holding off about giving, but I think it's appropriate. Um, and, that, and this is about, again, submitting to God, asking God to direct your path. About five weeks ago, uh, I, I decided that I needed to ask God to intervene in my life because I, I needed wisdom as to whether the office building that I built in 1986 that houses my law firm uh, and, 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 uh, and other law offices besides our firm, whether it was time for me to cut my ties with New Jersey. Uh, and because obviously I'm recognizing that this is where God wants me to be. I see the ministry that God is opening up. And so I prayed. I didn't even tell Linda this prayer. And I said, Lord, dear Lord, if it is your will that I should sell this building, Father, I am asking you that you bring someone to me to buy this building without without any intervention by me. I will not seek, I will not advertise, I will not promote that you, Father, will bring this person to me to buy this building. Three weeks later, three weeks later, a person comes in, wants to buy the building, all cash, all cash, all right? Wants to buy the building. And I knew instantaneously it was from God. You understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you this as a testimony of how God wants you to live your life. When you bow in submission before him and say, Lord, I want to walk in your steps. I want to be the man and woman you want me to be, Lord. You tell me. You direct my paths. He will do that. I guarantee you he will do it. You know, when I told Linda this story, and she goes, I can't believe this. You did this, and this happened three weeks later. I said, I didn't want to tell you. I said, this was just myself and God talking to God about what, what the direction is, and it just, it just has blown me away. That's what this is about. That's understanding the nature of love. And by the way, I apologize to the real estate brokers in the group. <laughs> I know you don't necessarily have the same great feeling of glory necessarily, but trust me, it'll all wind up in the same place. Uh, but, but, but the point of what I'm telling you is that you get an understanding of the infinite nature of God, that the more as you give in to him, the more as you say, I will do what you want me to do, I'll lead my life the way you want me to do, I'll take the steps you want me to do, and when you do it and he follows through on it and you take it, you will have a life that will be unbelievable. You won't have to worry about the steps that you're taking. You don't have to worry, oh, is this a good move? Is this a bad move? Should I do this now? Should I wait? No, you understand it. You prayed about it. And miraculously, these things come in. This is how God teaches us to live. I want you to look also at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is an important note. Jesus didn't die for you after you committed yourself to Jesus. Jesus didn't die for you after you turned yourself around. Jesus died for you while you were in open, notorious revolt to God. While you had rejected God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, even before you accepted him. That is the nature of the love of God that he loved you so perfectly 
uh, so infinitely, uh, so eternally, that he would let his son die for you even while you were in this notorious, rebellious state. That's why, turn to 1 John chapter 4, and that's why we can say this confidently, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. Underline that. In this world, we are are like him. How are we like him in this world? It is because we are conformed to the, to the character of Jesus Christ through our relationship with God, through our salvation. So you have peace and understanding that even in this world, we are like Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. He sees you as righteous, even though you're not righteous. He sees you attached to the body of Christ. All right, And so that's why you don't fear Judgment Day. Why? Because Jesus doesn't go to Judgment Day. There's no judgment on Jesus. All right, And you are a brother of Jesus. You are conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And so just as there is no judgment for Jesus Christ, there is no judgment for you. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, this is powerful. This is powerful. And so it refers to life now, all right? It's not some abstract, uh, off in the future point of view. It's life now, uh, as we understand it. Uh, and so we see that. That whole verse reads, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we're like them. That's why we have confidence, because we know that in the eyes of God, because we have, we have been saved, that he sees us in the same way and the same love that he has for Jesus Christ. Uh, and so it's because of the identity of the love of God for Christ and the love of God for me, my relationship to the final judgment is the same as Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 8 again. Turn to Romans chapter 8 again. Look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that in the righteous requirements of the law might be full, fully met in us, who do not live according to, this, to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. There it is, folks. If you want to understand the history of man, it's right there. God gave us the law to let us know this is what's required in order to be perfect. Oh, God, we can't live by the law. We have failed by the law. And year after year, the Jews would go through the day of sacrifice, the day of atonement. And one day after the day of atonement, they're back sinning again. There is no perfection. Instead of recognizing that we can't live by the law, we are imperfect, God, give us a Savior. Find us, Lord, help us to be better. The Jews worship the law. And when you worship the law, you wind up in death. But when you accept Jesus Christ, who God gave as the ultimate answer to the law, the ultimate propitiation of sin, and when you see that, it is Jesus who sets us free from the law. You can't live by the law. 
All right? You can't live by the law, and only through Jesus Christ does he set us free. And so you understand the nature of the love of God, how deep it is. Uh, and so as we study this verse and really dig down deep into it, uh, you, 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 one of the things that you learn, there is one more consequence of the truth that God loves us just as he has loved Jesus. Just as he's loved Jesus in the same way, in the same eternal, infinite way he loves you. And here's another confidence. If that is so, and I am convinced it is so, then we should love others the same way God has loved us. That's the nature of the message today. That's what this is about, that you have a responsibility that God has embraced you and loved you with the same way he's loved Jesus, and now he sends you out into this world to love the lost, to love those who need God, to embrace them, to bring them into the fold, to bring them into the kingdom of God, to show them what Jesus Christ is. How? He reflects himself through you to them. That's what God wants you to do. What does this mean? It does not mean that we do not pick out who we are to love. I'll take him, I'll take her. I like him, I like her. They look like me. They speak like me. They remind me of me. These are the kind of people I want to love. You understand? I want to love just all the people that are in this room. This is good, Lord. This is the kind of people I want to love. And Jesus said, that's good. That's a start. But I want you to go out in the parking lot. Then I want you to go out in the street. And then I want you to go out to the prisons. I want you to go out to the homeless centers. I want you to go out to the lost people that are wandering around. And those are the people I want you to love. Oh, God, that's a hard thing for me. <laughs> yes, it is a hard thing for you. But every day of your life, every moment of your life, every second that goes by, I want you to think and reflect about the fact of how deep is the love that God has had for you. How infinite, how infinite and eternal it is. And when you think about that, when you think about that, you cannot stop and let some lost person walk by without embracing them and telling them who Jesus is, bringing them in, bringing them here, bringing them into the kingdom of God, showing them a better way. Really, it's why when I, when I was with that gentleman yesterday who was suffered like this, I turned to him and I said, I want you to know that I will pray for you every day of my life. I will pray for you. And I turned to the other two guys who were with us and said, I'm asking you guys to pray for them. And they said, yes, they would. That's exactly how God wants you to live your life. All right? That's exactly how God wants you to live your life. So as we leave here today, that's, that's the nature of this lesson, understanding the enormity of the love of God. This is what the world cannot understand. You know, they think of God as some great taskmaster, just waiting to beat you down. You just step out of way and a lightning bolt comes, all right? And there's some, you know, some evil that comes your way, it's God. Some sickness that comes your way, it's God. Some misfortune comes your way, it's God. No, folks, your God is the God who put Jesus on the cross, his own son on the cross, bankrupting heaven for you. That's the God, loving you every day, infinitely, eternally, with a love that never ends, embracing you. That's the love of God. And that's what needs to be given to a world that desperately doesn't understand the nature of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. 
I thank you for Jesus, Father. I thank you for your love for Christ and the fact that you loved us in exactly the same way. Even as we leave here today, Lord, not able to really truly put our arms around this kind of love because it is so different from the way we love. Lord, we ask you to let this lesson resonate and grow in our hearts. Let us understand you greater and greater, Lord, in in more depth. Let us communicate this to a world that is lost and let us lost Let us love the lost, Lord. Let us leave here looking for people that we can embrace for you. Father, protect our people. Be with them this week and bring them safely back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.